Well, let's give Jesus a wonderful praise offering right now. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank God. Well, what a privilege it is to be a part of this 80th uh, anniversary celebration. And I give honor tonight to your good pastor and his wife and family, also Bishop and Sister Frost. We love them dearly. Uh, I, I was thinking as he was up here talking, I remembered we were traveling in Ethiopia together. You have not lived until you have ridden in a vehicle with Bishop Frost and the late Bishop Robert Davis and uh, heard their dad jokes. It was a running commentary in every vehicle, every airplane ride, and um, then to get in downtown Addis Ababa and him get out of the automobile and all of a sudden 50, at least 50 Ethiopian children converge on him. And here's this tall, white-headed fella right in the middle of all these 50 Ethiopian children. And they just, they just never seen anything like it in their life. I mean, they were amazed at this, this fella. I mean, they, they thought he'd come from another planet. And, uh, but anyway, it was, it was quite a, quite a, a treat, and uh, I'll never forget those days. But I'm happy to be here, and uh, I give honor tonight to this church, to the history of this church, and I also believe that the future Whatever we have left, whatever time is left, I believe the future is bright for First Pentecostal Church. Amen. I want to read one verse of Scripture, and uh, I'm going to try to move quickly through this tonight. I know you've had a heavy weekend, and I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as possible, but I don't want to miss the Holy Ghost and what he might want to do. So if you go with us to the book of Haggai, chapter 2, one verse, verse number 3. Haggai 2 and verse 3. The word of the Lord says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? I want to extract tonight the second question that is in this verse that has three questions. And I want to use that as my title tonight. How do you see it now? How do you see it now? And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We live in a time where there are many institutions in our world that put great efforts at assisting mankind in its struggle to rise from the ashes of broken dreams and shattered lives to once again believe in themselves. 
But sadly, these institutions fall miserably short in their noble efforts. And the reason is because they believe that man's answer comes from within himself. And of course, we know that much of that thinking uh, has been born out of the humanistic manifesto from years back that has been taught and people have bought into that idea. All of us understand tonight that man cannot be changed from within himself. There has to be an external power and work that must be done outside of man in order for him to be changed. So while there's a lot of institutions in our world that are not accomplishing their noble goals, I can tell you that when you walk through the doors of this sanctuary tonight, you walked into the greatest institution on the face of the earth. You walked into the church of the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. The church is like no other institution. The church is like no other group of people. In fact, the writer of Hebrews explains it like this, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. When we read Matthew chapter 1, you note that the angel declared that this one who was called Jesus, who was the founder of this church, would save his people from their sins. But John in his writings said that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Some believed and some rejected. But to those that believed on him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. The good news is that this church is not confined to one people. It's not confined to one race. It's not confined to one nation or to one culture. For Jesus said in Matthew 16, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He did not name a particular nation, people, or culture. He just said, I'm going to build my church, and hell will not be able to prevail against it. We notice that that is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, for it tells us on the birthday of the church that there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And they heard those men who were under the influence of the Holy Ghost speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God. Seventeen different nations represented that day that were hearing from their own language the wonderful works of God. Can I tell you that tonight 
across the world, the wonderful works of God are still being declared in every nation and in every tongue. Oh, I feel good in the Holy Ghost here tonight. Amen. Acts 10 and 35, it was the Apostle Peter that declared that in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Aren't you glad tonight that the door was opened at Calvary? Aren't you thankful tonight that there was not just a select few that were permitted to walk into the holiest of holies when that veil of the temple was rent in twain? Aren't you happy that every nation, doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter what your family's name was. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. When you walked into this place tonight, you walked into a place where every man, woman, boy, and girl are accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and give him praise. Hallelujah. But it's not just here on earth that we see the evidence of that. But John, looking into the future in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, he saw a people, and it said, he said, they sung a, a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you are you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue, and people, and nation. So can I just simply say tonight that if you are in this house and you carry in your heart a prejudice toward others, can I tell you that when you get to the other side, if you make it, you're going to rub shoulders with people from every nation, from every tongue, from every kindred. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. We got to get past some of this stuff that divides us. We got to get beyond some of this stuff that paralyzes us and understand that the door of the church is open to everyone, to everyone. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Hallelujah. And now for some 2,000 years, this church has been alive. And I've come to tell you tonight, it's not going down, it's going up. This church has been through the fire, and the fire couldn't burn it. This church has been through the flood, and the flood couldn't turn it. This church has been fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. This church has fought a lot of wars, but she's never been defeated. She's the church. She's the church, and she is triumphant. Woo. I understand tonight that I have used as my text a scripture that talks about the destruction of the temple of Solomon and then the reconstruction of that temple. However, without doing damage to the word of God, I want to apply this verse in a little bit of a different manner. Because you see, the reason that I want to do that is that how we see things 
in one stage of life can be viewed much differently at a different stage of life. Can give you an illustration, a very simple illustration. You have young men, young lady that decide that they want to court. And in the course of the courtship, there's plans for a wedding ceremony. And then uh, through the wedding ceremony, you have the actual marriage relationship. And whenever you look back on uh, these kinds of relationships or the process of things, uh, you will notice there's great joy. There's great joy in the courtship. There's joy and excitement and experience of all of those special moments. It was glorious. Amen. Glorious as you are courting. Glorious as you go through the wedding ceremony. But then you get married and life hits you. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And now you find yourself going through the process of learning to live with someone who was so often not like you. Amen. Sometimes she wasn't, she's not like your mama either. <laughs> so what happens is the glory of that latter house becomes much different than the former house. Where is the beauty? Where is the glory? Where is the excitement of those early days? Where is the excitement of the courtship? Where's the excitement of the wedding ceremony? Now we're in the we're riding down the road of life and we've hit the bumps and we've hit the potholes and now things seem to be a great deal different from this perspective than what it was from that perspective. I believe that it is the same way when we come to God. The glory of our first experience. When you came into the house of the Lord for the very first time. You came in strung out on drugs. You came in addicted to alcohol. You came in slammed by life. But you walked in here and you found hope. You walked in here and found out that there might be an opportunity of change. That your world can be made different. Hallelujah. You found out that Romans 14 and 17 is true. That the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. How many are thankful that the day that you got the Holy Ghost and you've been living for God, that you realize this thing is about righteousness. This thing is about a changed way of living. This thing is about having peace in my heart, peace in my mind, peace in my spirit. This is about joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the glory when you repented. Oh, the glory when you got baptized in Jesus' name and your sins were washed away. Oh, the glory when you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, the glory of making brand new friends who wanted to help you in your new life. But then life happens. 
And you discover things you didn't realize was in the church. People. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel so good in the Holy Ghost right now. You understand, all of a sudden, there's people in this church. There's people with problems. There's people with trouble. There's people with wrong motives. There's hypocrites in this church. Well, amen. The prophet asked the question, do you remember the glory of the first house? How do you see it now? Because after you've lived for God for a while, if you're not careful, how you view the church after 20 years of living for God, 30 years or 40 years can be much different than what it was the night that you got the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. You see, the problem with people that, that the marriage relationship has lost its luster, it's lost its, it's lost its joy. They decide to give up and do something else. But there are others that say, you know what? I made my mind up that I'm not going to lose the glory of our relationship. And that's what you've got to do when you're serving God. You've got to make up your mind. I don't care what the world is. I don't care what kind of people I have to encounter. I don't care who I have to rub shoulders with. I'm making my mind up. I'm not going to lose the glory of the, of the night that I got the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to lose the glory of when God baptized me with the Spirit and I spoke in tongues the very first time. I'm going to keep the glory alive. I'm going to keep the glory of life. I'm not letting it die. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. I'm not letting it die. I made my mind up a long time ago, nobody's stealing my joy. I said, nobody's stealing my joy. Nobody's stealing my peace in God. Ain't nobody worth going to hell for. It don't matter to me if half the, half the congregation is nothing but hypocrites. That don't change my mind about the church. That don't change my view of the church. That don't change how I see it. She's still a glorious church. She's still a wonderful mother of the babies of the kingdom of God. Ah, hallelujah. Does anybody really feel that way tonight? You're not going to steal my praise. You're not going to steal my worship. You're not going to divert me. You're not going to distract me and paralyze me with what you are. Woo. Come on. How long you been living for God? I'm asking you a question. How do you see it now? I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12 years old. I was baptized in Jesus' name at the age of six years old. That was 66 years, 64 years ago. I'm telling you tonight, I love her more than I've ever loved her. I love the church more than I've ever loved the church. I appreciate who she is more than I've ever appreciated her.
Amen. You're not going to change my opinion about the church. I saw her the night I got the Holy Ghost. I saw what she was when I was growing up as a child on a church pew. I saw what God did. I saw the times that they were drunk in the Holy Ghost and we took them home talking in tongues at midnight, one and two o'clock in the morning. I remember seven night a week revivals. I remember the glory of those days. And I got news for you, friend. I feel like the prophet of God in the book of Haggai who went on to say that the latter house it's going to be greater than the former house. How do I see it now? I'm going to tell you how I see it. She's greater than she's ever been. She's better than she's ever been. You just have to make up your mind. I'm going to keep the glory alive. Amen. Let me just tell you that there are outside forces tonight that want to get you out of the church. Let me, let me just say this. I, it's not really my message, but let me just tell you, the devil never gives up on trying to get people out of the church. We ought to never give up on trying to keep people in the church. Well, hallelujah, this is not the time to want to feel like we need to push them out, get rid of them. The devil's working on them enough. We don't need to be working on them. We need to be saying, we're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to strengthen you. We're here to help you live for God. But there are outside forces that want to get you to walk out, get you to give up. There's outside forces that want you to see the church in such a manner that will cause you to want to give up. Call it quits. In Acts chapter 7 and 38, the children of Israel who wandered 40 years in the wilderness, they were called the church in the wilderness. That's what they were called. They were referred to in Acts 7 as the church in the wilderness. They were a blessed people. They were the seed of Abraham. God was making a great nation out of them. God's name was being made great. God put a protective blessing on his people. But there's an, a particular occasion that I want to direct your attention to tonight that I think fits in what I'm trying to communicate right now, and it's the story of a prophet by the name of Balaam, who the king of Balak sent for him that he would come and curse the people of God. These, this church in the wilderness was causing great fear among the inhabitants of the land. Amen. Let, let, me, let me just talk to some folks that you feel like you're weak tonight. You feel like you're struggling. You don't know if you can make it or not. You don't understand that you are a threat to hell just by the fact that you're sitting in this house tonight. 
The reason the devil wants you to backslide is because he is afraid. He is absolutely terrified that you're going to get a hold of something and you're going to affect some more people. And your family's going to see a change in you. And you're going to make a decision to live for God. He's terrified of that. That's why you ought to say, devil, I'm staying. I don't care if I got to fight every day to live for God. If I got to struggle every day to live for God, I'm staying in the church. I'm not leaving. I'm not backsliding. Amen. This church in the wilderness were terrifying the inhabitants of the land. And Balak said, come here, Balaam, I want you to go curse these people. And so you know, if you read the story, then you know that there was an enticement of money to do the work. There were more honorable ambassadors that were sent every time Balaam would refuse. There was constantly, he was constantly refusing and they were And then finally, we know that he relented and decided to go. And, of course, we know there was a talking donkey involved. (laughs) And then finally, there was a meeting between Balak and Balaam. Up to this point, they had not met. But now, they have met face to face. And when you look in, in chapter 23, in verse number 3 of Numbers Balaam said unto Balak, stand by the burnt offering. So the prophet is saying to the king, stay by this burnt offering. I will go and peradventure the Lord will come to meet me. Whatsoever he shows me, I will tell thee. And he went to an high place. And here's what he said. Verse 9, from the top of the rocks I see him, Israel. And from the hills I behold him. So what Balaam is saying is I got into a place where I could see the whole church. I could see the entire encampment of Israel. And something came over him and he had to bless them. When he saw the church as a whole, when he saw the entire encampment, he said, I got to bless them. I can't curse these people. They're too great of a people. Let me tell you, friend, when you come to the house of God and you see the church as a body, you see the church as a whole, you see a place where there's people that love you, they care for you, they're concerned about you. You get a positive feeling about the church and you get that attitude that says, I can't find fault with this place. Because you see them from a particular perspective. And Balak, Balaam said, I can't curse them. The only thing I can do is bless them. And so whenever he blessed them, you go down to verse 13 of Numbers 23. And Balak said unto him, come, listen now. Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place. You, you, you saw him from this perspective. You saw him from this viewpoint. But I want you to go over here and I want to show you them from a different viewpoint. I'm going to tell you, friend, the devil never quits trying to show you something negative about the church. The one thing he's wanting you to do is curse the church. Give up on the church. 
Balak said to Balaam, your problem is you're not looking at them from the right perspective. You're not seeing them the right way. So he said, come on, let's, let's go to another place. He said, I, I, I pray, come with me unto another place from whence thou mayest see them. Listen what he said. Thou shalt see but the utmost part of them and shall not see them all. Curse me them from thence. In other words, I want to show you the people just a small part. I want to show you just a little bit of the, uh, of the people. I don't want you to see all of them. I want you to see the utmost part. I want you to see the people that are on the fringes. I want you to see the people that are on the outskirts. I don't want you to see everybody. I just want you to see a few. Because if I can get you focused on the few, he said, then maybe I can get you to curse them. Oh, glory to God. I'm going to tell you, friend, if the devil can't get you to not come to church because you're seeing the church as a whole, then I'm going to tell you what he's going to make sure he does. He's going to make sure you see the person that's not living everything they ought to live. And they may be the first one running the aisles, but you're going to, you're going to see them that are on the fringes. You're going to see them that are not wholehearted. You're not, going to, you're not going to see them close to the ark that are close to the encampment where the presence of God is. You're going to see them on the outskirts. They're always pushing the envelope. They're always on the outer fringes. I got news for you, friend. If you're on the outer fringes, move in. Get in the middle. Don't become a distraction to somebody that may be struggling. I just want you to see that one. I want you to see that one that's not treating his wife right. I want you to see that one that's not, that's not being everything he ought to be. I want you to see this one over here that, that, that the only thing she's ever got anything to say is something bad about something. Can I preach to you? Am I preaching to people here tonight? I told you when you come to church, you're going to find out there's people in the church. And I thank God for this church. I'm just telling you tonight what the enemy's going to do. He's not, oh, glory to God. He don't want your eyes on the preacher. He don't want your eyes on the frontline singers, the worshipers, the people. He don't want you seeing the people that come consistently to the prayer room and seek God for revival and pray for the Holy Ghost to work and operate. He wants you to see something that is on the fringe. See something that's not representative of the whole. That's what he wants you to see. That adversary is going to get you to look at the church from an alternate, alternate angle. So you'll find fault. If I can get you at just the right angle, then you'll see something you really, you really shouldn't see, but I know it'll affect your faith and have an impact on your thought process. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm trying to figure out if I want to move into this next part or not because I'm not sure that we can take it here tonight. Amen. But you read your Bible. I'm going to go ahead and preach it anyhow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you read about the body. You read about the entire body. You read about the fact that we are members in particular, but we only make up one body. There is only one body. There's only one church. 
And Paul writes and says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, to the, the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, listen, nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. You have to understand that when God put somebody in this church, he knew what he was doing. He knew what his plan was. He needs strong members and he needs feeble members. Woo. Hallelujah. Feeble members, he said, are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Hallelujah. Y'all got the DNA of I.H. Terry on you so I can go ahead and say a couple of things. <laughs> Amen. There's parts of these, this body that God made that was not designed for public exposure. Am I right? It was not designed for public exposure. It was designed to be covered. Hallelujah. And there's some parts of the church that are not meant to be uncovered. Oh, Lord, it gets quiet all of a sudden. There's some parts that are meant to be covered so they have more comeliness. There's some folks, listen, church, we cover them. Come on, I said we cover them. When someone says something about them, amen, we cover for them. They may not be everything, but, 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 but they're not designed to be uncovered. They're an uncomely part. Oh, glory to God. Now, now okay, let me, let, me just, let me say, I come across this a few days ago. I use it in our, in, our, um, in our services over in Zimbabwe and Zambia here a few weeks ago. But, but I hit, it, it hit me the other day, and that, that was the fact that he goes on to say that our comely parts have no need. There are parts of the body that have no need. The face doesn't need to be covered, so why are we painting it? The hands don't have need of anything, so why are we painting the hands? We live in a crazy world. They're covering the comely parts and uncovering the uncomely parts. Is that right? That's the world that we're living in. But that's what Paul is trying to communicate here where the church is concerned that every single member has a part. I want to help somebody right now. Hallelujah. You see that? You see, you know, if, if I were to take that hand and we were to cut that hand off and lay it out there on the hood of an automobile, you walk up to your automobile and see that hand on the hood, you'd go crazy. You'd call the police. You'd get the authorities out. You want to know why in the world is there a hand on my car? You know why it freaks you out? It's because the hand is not in its rightful place. But a hand on a body doesn't attract any attention. A hand on a, a hand in its rightful place is just normal. Woo, 
hallelujah. Here's the point. The point is that hand is not perfect by itself. That hand, that finger is not perfect by itself. That finger's only perfect because it's connected to a hand. And that hand is only perfect because it's connected to an arm. It's a part of the body. That's what brings perfection. Here's our problem. Our problem is we're always looking for perfection on the individual level. And there will never be perfection in a church on the individual level. It will only be on the body on the whole, it will only be. Oh, hallelujah. Perfection is not a part. People say, well, I don't need a church. I don't need a pastor. You're like a hand on the automobile. You're not in your rightful place. You can never be perfect by yourself. You can't be perfect out here running your own program, doing your own thing. You got to get connected to a church. You got to get connected to a body because you will never experience perfection on a spiritual level until you are a part of the body of Christ, until you are connected to the church. Praise the Lord. Even Jesus said the good ground brought forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Even in the good ground, there was some below average, some above average, and some 100 percenters. But you're never going to make everybody a 100 percenter. Now, does that mean we ought to stand back and lollygag around and never try to be anything more in God than what we've always been? No, 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 a thousand times no. I believe we ought to be putting forth the greatest effort we can to be everything we can be in God. But the one thing I'm trying to communicate is that the only way that there is perfection is when you look at the whole. Hallelujah. I have told pastors, I have said, quit looking at two or three people in your church and judging the health of your church on two or three people. Look at the body. Look at the entire congregation and judge the health based on the overall body. I'm experiencing arthritis in my hands, struggling with sometimes being able to grip things. Sometimes I can't even open up a bottle because I don't have the grip I used to have. And, and, and there's pain involved. I, my, my knuckles are getting twisted. And, but I have to tell you that even though there's some pain there, I'm not cutting those hands off just because they hurt. I'm not ready to get rid of any part of the body of Christ. Now, you do have to understand that if I went to a doctor and there was a growth on this finger and that doctor looked at me and said, Sir, if you don't cut that finger off, it's going to endanger your whole body. It's going to kill you. It will destroy you. It will eat up your health and you're going to die as a result if you don't get rid of that finger. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Cut that finger off because I want to live. So I'm not telling you that there's never a time like that, but what I am telling you is just because somebody's a pain doesn't mean that it's time to get rid of them. We're a church. We're a body. We are a people. How do you see it now? I said, how do you see it now? What is your perspective on the church after living for God for 30 years? The 
talking about an 80th anniversary here. How do we see it now? Let me just make one more quick comment here. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, temperance. Can I tell you that I'm, I have lived, this is my 70th year. I'm, moved, I'm, I'm knocking on the door of 71. And I've worked with a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people. I've dealt with a lot of people. And I have yet to find anyone that, that exemplifies all nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit to the nth degree. Amen? Because it's just the way it is. You got some folks that got all the joy and they got all the peace, but they don't have any long suffering. They don't know how to put up with somebody. You know, the one reason why that I'm having struggle here with my hands is because of the arthritis, and they tell me that, that there, there, is, there is a substance that's in the joints of every, every on all the bones in your body, and all the joints of your body, that there's a substance called collagen, and that collagen is there for a reason. When there's an absence of it, calcium steps in, and that's when you get arthritis, that's when you get all the pain. But, but they said the collagen is there for a purpose. It keeps the bones close enough together that they can work together, but far enough apart that they don't grate on one another. Well, the Bible talks about the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It is the love of God that is the collagen of the body. It's the love of God that's the collagen of the church. What does the love of God do? It keeps all of us close together that we can worship together, that we can go to church together, that we can do outreach together, that we can win souls together, but far enough apart from one another that we don't get on each other's nerves. Well, it got quiet all of a sudden. Hallelujah. Thank God for the love of God. Amen. Now, where was I going with that? Oh, I know where I was going. We, we, we don't exemplify that to the nth degree. So how do I achieve perfection? How do I, how, how is it that I am a part of where the fruit of the Spirit is manifested, exemplified, for me, as an individual, it's whenever I connect myself with the body. Because where I may be weak, he may be strong. Where I may be struggling, he may have it all together. So when we're together, when we are a body, then I look, make him look better and he makes me look better. Hallelujah. Come on. I understand. I'm not perfect by myself. I'm not perfect alone. And any one individual in the world who thinks that they got it all together and they don't need a church, you fail to realize the importance of the fact that the only way you're going to be perfect in the eyes of God is when you're connected, when you are in your place, when you are serving in your place, when you are a part of the place that God has put you in. And you are there willingly Amen. So let me go on. Let me go on. If he can't get you to see just a small part, if he can't get you to see a part that should have stayed covered up, an uncomely part that should have remained covered, here's what he says. In 23 and 27, 
Balak comes back to Balaam and it says, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. I'm going to say it again. He never gives up. He can't get you to curse the church from one angle. He's going to show you something else. And so Balak says to Balaam, come on, I'll show you, I'll take you to another place. Peradventure, it will please God that you may curse me there from them from thence. And Balak brought Balaam under the top of Peor that looks toward Jeshimon. He was looking toward a place called Jeshimon. Jeshimon means a waste place. It means a wilderness place. It means a solitary place. So here is what, here is what Balak said. I'm not going to show you the church as much as I'm going to show you the, where the church is. I'm going to show you the place that the church is in. I'm going to show you the bad times. I'm going to show you the times of dryness. I'm going to show you the times of barrenness. I'm going to show you whenever it seems like that we can't get the service off the ground. Now, you see the place that they're in? They're in a waste place. They're in because I'm just telling you, church, no church stays on the mountaintop every single service. Amen. We don't live on the mountaintop. Thank God for the mountaintop. Thank God for the glory. My word, have mercy what God did in this house tonight at the outset of the service. Aren't you happy for the presence of God that saturated this place? The Holy Ghost operating. But that, that doesn't happen 100 times out of 100 times. Sometimes the church is found in a wilderness a waste place, a solitary place. And Balak said, look, look where they're living. God, a God if, he, if he really loved them, he'd, he'd have them in a, a place where there was plenty of water and there'd be green fields and fruit trees and everything else. But look at them, they're in a wilderness place. How can God love them and yet let them live in that place? And Balak went, Balaam, when he lifted up his eyes, he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. He saw them abiding. He saw them in the wilderness, but they were abiding. They were living. They were abiding. He didn't see anybody forsaken. He didn't see anybody homeless or starving. He saw normality. He saw order. But that's not all he saw. Because when you read 24 and 1, Balaam begins to prophesy gets down to verse number 5, and he says, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. As the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of lying aloes, which the Lord has planted, and as cedar trees beside the rivers. He shall pour the water out of his buckets. His seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. As he hath, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. He has eaten up the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched. He laid down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesses thee, and cursed is he that curses thee. Now, if you, if you follow what I just read, then you will understand that what Balaam saw was this. He saw a church that the wilderness needed. <laughs> Amen. He saw the church with just 
what the surrounding wilderness needed. He saw a people that could, in a solitary place, in a wilderness place, in a place where there was nothing but waste, he saw them with trees. He saw them with water flowing. He saw them with strength where they could break the bones of their enemies. He saw them as a victorious people. And what I want to tell you tonight is that it doesn't matter what the devil tries to show you, where the church is, what the church is going through. I'm going to tell you that the worst day the church ever has having church is better than the best day the world ever had in a bar room, hallelujah, on a dance floor, in a crack house, or anywhere else. It's greater here. It's better here than anything else that the world has to offer. Go ahead and stand. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. You hear this preacher tonight. We're what the world needs. I don't care how solitary the world is around us. It doesn't matter what wilderness we're dwelling in. It doesn't matter the political climate, the economic climate, the spirit of our age. The church is what the world needs. They need our worship. They need our praise. They need our song. They need our music. They need everything that we have because we are what the world needs in this wicked hour. Lift your voice and give him praise right now. Come on, musicians and singers, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm asking you a question tonight. After you've lived for God for a long time, how do you see it now? Amen. I said, how do you see it now? I've been in this all of my life. I'm not in it simply because that's what my father and mother were when I was born. I'm not in it just because I was raised, and I'm in it because I have proven it to be right. I am in this. I preach what I preach tonight. Not because my daddy preached it. I thank God he preached it. But I'm not doing it just because he preached it. I'm doing it because I've read the book for myself. I have studied the word of God for myself. I have I've experienced the things of God for myself. And this is right. This is right. This is right. I'm going to tell you how I see it. I still see it as a glorious church. I still see it as a wonderful church. She's kept me all these years. The church has nurtured me. She picked me up when I was down. She gave me a family. I, she's prayed me through over and over again. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. How do I see it now? After 54 years of preaching, I still love to go right back to church again. Being in church is not a task to me. It's not, it's not something that I find boring. It's not something that I have to force myself to do. I feel like the psalmist when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go.
to the house of the Lord. So at the, at the conclusion of this 80th celebration, I'm asking First Pentecostal Church, how do you see it now? Young people, listen to this preacher. I started preaching when I was 16 years of age. You don't have to wait until you're 40 to do something for God. I started evangelizing full-time as an evangelist. I understand I can't, that's not what you recommend for everybody. I get that, but that was my life, and that was the will of God for my life. I started traveling full-time at 16. I have preached. I have preached in most of the states in this country and many nations over, over, overseas. I've seen the church in all kinds of circumstances. I've seen it in, in every conceivable kind of crisis and problems. And I've seen it in revival. I've seen it whenever it was on the top of the mountain, the top of the top of the mountain. I have seen it. We'll tell you how I see it today. I have more hope for this church than I've ever had in my life. Hallelujah. When I step into a church like First Pentecostal Church and I see your pastor and his wife and family and then I see this church and its response. And I see Bishop Frost as he is behind them, pushing them and saying, go for it, do it. I see great promise. As a matter of fact, I look around here and I realize... Y'all don't have much further to go that you're going to have to look for another place to have church. Does that look like it's going down? I don't think so. I have greater hope. As a matter of fact, I was raised in this. Let me just tell you. I, I, I know. I remember. I remember the prayer meetings of old. There's so many people that want to look back and they want to, they, want to, they want to build a memorial about what used to be. But I'm going to tell you right now, I grew up in a church where the only drum beat we had was my daddy beating on the side of a wooden pulpit. And where we had an old upright piano that wasn't half in tune. And we had an accordion, sometime a flat top guitar. That's what I grew up in. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to go back. How do I see it now? I see her with more talent. I see her with more consecration. I see people praying like never before. I see people that are committing themselves to being excellent in everything that they could possibly be. I'm glad I'm living right now. I'm glad I'm enjoying the fruit of labor right now. I'm glad I'm in the church today. You want to go back? You go back. I don't want to go back. I like what's going on right now. I remember having camp meetings on sawdust floors that within 10 minutes of the service started, there was a, there was a haze in the building and it wasn't the Holy Ghost. It was a dusty haze that settled on every white shirt in the place before we walked out that night. We didn't have white shirts on. We had dirty gray shirts on. Amen. I know, I know what those days are like. I've been there. 
I just can tell you. How do I see it now? The latter house is greater than the former house. I see the beauty of the church like I've never seen her before. Amen. Devil, I don't care where you take me to look at the church. I'm still going to say she's beautiful. I don't care what angle you use. She's still a wonderful church. I don't care what, come on, anybody feel that way tonight? I don't care what you try to show me about the church. I'm, I can't curse her. I got to bless her. I got to bless this church. I can't curse the church. Would you lift your voice and thank God for the church tonight? Lift your voice and give your God great praise for his church.